sure all of us have had that was challenging, that pushed us and maybe even led us to doubt. Um, perhaps, for example, it was the birth of a child, relocating cities, going off to college. Uh, all these things are challenging life events. In the midst of those, we are forced to uh, make decisions. We can rely on our own strength and think that we know how things will pan out. Or, alternatively, as the Bible would have us do, we can trust in the Lord and know that he has mapped out our entire lives and knows exactly where things are headed and rest in that. say that because our friend Timothy here is in a similar situation. He's in a, in the church in Ephesus, which as Jeremy reminded us was in a little bit of a, a hot mess. Um, it was, uh, he, he was tasked by Paul to appoint elders there who would shape the church and give them guidance in terms of the gospel and defending that. And so in the immediate context, as we looked at last week in verses chapter 5, verses 17 through 22, we learned about elders and what it looks like to appropriately pay those elders and uh, the potential dangers of laying hands too quickly. That was in verse 22. So I am going to just reread that verse for us tonight to give us a little bit of context going into 23 through 25. So chapter 5, verse 22. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So in the immediate context here, we are dealing with the role of the elder. Um, elders are essential in defending the gospel in the local church. And that's what the Lord has tasked us with as a body. In the broader context, uh, we read back in chapter 1, verse 3. I'll go ahead and turn there for us. You don't have to, but you can if you'd like. Paul writes, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So this serves as sort of a thesis statement for the letter of 1 Timothy. And upon reflecting on that, we see that Timothy has this enormous task guarding the gospel. What, is that, what does that look like? Um, and might that even lead to anxiety? We'll get that to that in a, in a minute here. What, what an enormous task that he has here. And it would only make sense that Paul gives him a little bit of fatherly wisdom in verse 23. He, in the midst of discussing the office of elder and the parameters for that office, he gives Timothy a personal aside. He says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. What a, what a strange verse. What a bizarre insertion here. 
why would Paul put this here? Obviously, we know that God's word is inspired. So every word matters. So there, there's a meaning behind the inclusion of 23 here. And it's perfectly situated. See, in 22, the last half of 22, Paul instructs Timothy to keep himself from sin. So it seems that an outworking of keeping himself from sin would be to care for himself. So um, as, we, as we think about the responsibility that Timothy has here, um, we need to ask ourselves perhaps a, a larger guiding question this evening. How can we trust the Lord in the selection of elders? Again, I'll ask that uh, one more time. How can we trust the Lord in the selection of elders? So tonight I want to put forth three truths that relate to that question. Three truths that relate to the selection of elders. Number one, elders must not neglect their health. So I was kind of jumping the gun there. I apologize. Um, but that, that's what 23 is speaking to. That's why Paul has inserted that there. Very purposely, he has put 23 here to remind us that elders must not neglect their health. So perhaps another underlying question here about verse 23. Um, what's the big deal with water? Well, first century water is not the same water that we drink in the drinking fountain. And perhaps that goes without saying, but in case it doesn't, um, the water was impure. It had bacteria in it, and that likely led to uh, problems for Timothy. See, he was abstaining from alcohol and just drinking water, and that was actually not a good thing because it was giving him issues. Uh, he had stomach issues, um, and Paul is instructing him here that drinking water is actually going to lead to more problems. Um, if he continue, continues to drink water, then he will remain sick and he'll continue to have stomach problems. So why was he just drinking water? You ever wonder that? That's a, I think that's an implied question here. Um, it seems that Timothy is avoiding wine for a reason. See, Paul's opponents in the first century were likely drunkards. If you'll recall with me in chapter 3, when we looked at the qualifications of an elder, verse 3 reads that he is not addicted to wine. So it seems that Paul's opponents were, um, how should I say, very, very fond of a drink. They were, they were drunkards. They abused wine. And it seems that Timothy, in an effort to distance himself from those uh, false teachers, he abstained from wine completely. And that actually proved to be problematic because, as I mentioned, he had stomach issues and uh, he was not helping himself by actually not having any wine. Um, perhaps he was recalling Paul's charge in Romans 14, 21. Paul says it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. 
So it may be the case here that Timothy, in an effort to save face and actually help his brother and sister, is abstaining from drink so as to set an example. Timothy didn't want to give the appearance of sin, and so he chose abstinence from wine. Now, wine was often used in the first century as a purifying agent. That was not uncommon. As I mentioned, the water was not like our drinking water. It was actually quite polluted. And so it was very common that people would mix a little bit of wine into their water so that it was safe to drink. Paul thus instructs Timothy to use, notice, a little wine. He doesn't, doesn't say drink it by the, by the pot full or the, or the bottle full. Um, a little wine, that's, that's key here. So Timothy is to medicate himself, actually, using wine for a purpose. The, actually, the, the word there um, for, for use in the Greek, it implies that there's a utility behind it, that the wine is serving a purpose. It's not just, hey, Timothy, have a drink. It's, Timothy, use this wine for a purpose. Use this wine so that you will be able to continue to minister. Another question that verse 23 raises here is that Timothy may have struggled with anxiety. Again, he had a large weight on his shoulders here. He was in charge of establishing the elders in this church that was dealing with false doctrine. And that very well may have led to a bit of anxiety. In 522, Paul reminds Timothy that laying on hands too quickly would actually lead him to share in the sins of those elders. So, of course, naturally, we could assume that he dealt with anxiety to some extent. So, what is, what is Paul saying? Is Paul allowing for wine to um, self-medicate, in a sense, to mitigate the effects of anxiety? Not at all. Instead, he's urging Timothy implicitly to trust the Lord. That's the only way that Timothy will effectively establish these elders if he ultimately trusts that the Lord will put the proper elders in place over the church in Ephesus. Proverbs 3 will remind us Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Many of us have probably memorized that verse, because it's true. We have to trust in the Lord. He is the one who is sovereign, who is providentially placed in our congregation, the elders that we have, and praise God for them. But also for Timothy, the Lord would place the appropriate men in that office, and Timothy had to trust him for that. So what does it look like to not neglect one's health? Kind of getting back to the main thrust of 23 here. What does it look like? Well, imagine a minister who is a godly man. He's, he's memorized the Bible. He preaches exegetically sound sermons. He loves other people, genuinely. 
But if he did that to the neglect of his own health and couldn't walk across the room without getting winded, would that be good stewardship? I think the answer to that is no. I think that this minister would benefit from perhaps a 30-minute walk every day or every other day. Um, Something simple, just taking care of his health. I think that's the implication here of 22, is that the minister can't neglect his health in the name of ministering to Christ's church. He can't do it. So what does that look like in our church? Well, elders, I would encourage you to take care of your physical body. You can't minister as effectively if you let go of your physical body that the Lord has made you a steward of. Obviously, diet and exercise are a means to an end. We we must acknowledge that. Back in chapter 4, verse 8, we're reminded that that bodily discipline is only of little profit. But we must acknowledge that bodily discipline is used so that you can effectively use your body and minister as the Lord would have you. So what does that look like for us as a church? We must encourage our elders to take care of themselves. We can do that by making healthy choices ourselves. And just as the elders take care of themselves to a pointed end, right, being able to continue to minister, that's, that's the same for us as well. We may not have a ministry position, but we take care of our bodies so that we can be used of the Lord and continue to effectively minister for him. So we must, elders must not neglect their physical health. A second truth that we must acknowledge here is that elders must recognize their accountability before God and his church. Elders must recognize their accountability before God and his church. We see this in verse 24. I'll go ahead and read that again for us. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. So, that first part of the verse, obviously, there are men who are not qualified to elder. Paul is clear here. These men don't meet the qualifications of chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. They don't uphold those criteria. And they are easy to identify. Their sin is blatant. They wear that. Some men are unqualified, though, and it's not quite as easy to tell. We see that in the latter half of verse 24. For others, their sins follow after. So that's just another way of saying that their sins are not up front. They're following after. They aren't as evident. It takes a little bit more time to discern their errors. These men reveal their sin later. The verb here for follow after occurs only one other time in the New Testament, and that's in chapter 5, verse 10, which reads, uh, with regards to widows, that she has devoted herself to every good work. So the key phrase there is devoted herself. 
The implication is that this type of man, in verse 24, is one who has devoted himself to sin. And while it may not be evident up front, it's something that is evident later. Again, we're reminded of chapter 5, verse 22. And we see the reason that we should not too quickly lay hands on an elder. I'll read that again for us. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sin of others. So it seems that haste is the error. Haste in choosing an elder and assuming that he is of godly character and fit for the role. That haste is sin. And Paul encourages Timothy here, don't be hasty. Wait. Be patient and allow for the fruit of their lives to come to bear and see the fact that they aren't qualified. That's not going to be evident up front. That does take time. Of course, we must acknowledge as well that character is never hidden from God. I'll read from Proverbs 5, verse 21. Bookmark may have been helpful here. Again, this is to illustrate the point that character is not hidden from God. So the writer is talking about the fall of, well, the, the pitfalls of immorality here. And at the end of it, he says, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. So that's, that's pretty obvious to us, right? As Christians, we know that the Lord sees our heart. So, Clearly, the Lord knows the sin that an elder would have, one who would aspire to the office but is not qualified. However, this text is not referring necessarily to the final judgment, although it may seem that way at first. This text is actually referring to a time before the final judgment because the implication here is that one person can see the outworking of this man's life the one who aspires to the office but is not qualified for it. So this man is not at judgment day. We're talking about a day in which this man is evidently sinning, and Timothy can observe that. So what does this look like? Well, I think that the Lord himself gives us a good illustration in the, the parable with the house that's built on the rock. I'll go ahead and read from that. Um, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and stamped against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So the implication here is that this house, or this elder, if you will, uh, seems to be 
structurally sound. It seems to be spiritually stable. And yet, when the winds come and the rains, that is when we can tell what his real foundation is. Is it Christ? Is it the solid rock that it should be built on? Or is it something else? Pride, selfishness, fill-in-the-blank sin there. Time will tell these things. So how do we apply this as a church? I think that our elders do well to act very deliberately. And they do that with intention. Because they don't want to put a man in an office of leadership too soon. They see the consequences of that. They see that that would be sharing in that man's sin. So what are we to do as a church? We are to appreciate that and to be patient with them as they carefully discern who should be in the office of elder, who should lead, who should teach. All of these things are interrelated and they're all impacted by this verse. I think there's a trickle down effect. Not only does this affect leadership, this also affects teaching offices and the office of deacon and various other offices within the, within the church. So our third point here is that elders must realize that their obedience will one day be revealed. Elders must realize that their obedience will one day be revealed. And this comes from verse 25. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident. And those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Some people will be blatant candidates for eldership due to the fruit of their lives. That will be apparent. There are some men who are so qualified and it is so evident that their good works will scream, yes, this, this is a candidate for eldership. There are also men whose good deeds are not quite as evident, whose good deeds will appear later. And it's interesting that this verse actually parallels verse 25. So verse 24 and verse 25 have a parallel structure um, in that the good deeds are not readily evident. And then there are some in the last half of verse 25. I'll go ahead and read that again. Those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. So the men whose good deeds are not readily evident cannot be concealed. So eventually, those good deeds will come to light. And eventually, over time, you will see and recognize this man is a candidate for an elder. Verse 25 can actually be read in two different ways. Um, The last half of the verse is the the portion that may lead to a little bit of confusion there. Um, That's the one that we just read. Um, So some will interpret it to say that those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. And basically what that would mean is that instead of good deeds, there are men who don't possess good deeds, and therefore shouldn't be an elder. In that instance, verse 25 would 
the essentially saying the same thing that 24 does, just in a different way. But I think that it actually serves to mirror 24 and instead wants to basically say uh, that patience will allow you to see an elder candidate who you may have passed over initially. Someone who is not outwardly displaying good works, but over time, those good works will, uh, will come to surface. So what, is, what does this look like in a local church? Well, similar to 25, I think it looks like patience. I think that, again, our elders model that to us, and they do that very well. They are not quick to make a decision because they see the weight of making a poor decision and putting a wrong candidate in office as an elder. So I think that an application for us is that we would patiently wait with them and wait to see <coughs> those who the Lord would put in office as elder because ultimately the Lord will do that. Again, circling back to our, our main idea here, we can trust the Lord with the selection of elders. Obviously, we have a part to play in that. We must be involved in one another's lives, loving one another, being in intentional discipleship relationships with one, with one another. But ultimately, that decision is the Lord's, and he will put the one in office that he deems fit for that office. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful that you build your church. And you do that in a variety of ways with a variety of, a variety of people, a variety of elders. And we are grateful for those that you have put in our midst. We pray for them. We pray that you'll guard them from sin. Keep them in your word. Keep them growing and trusting in you. Ultimately, knowing that their decision rests upon the fact that you are sovereign. We love you. We trust you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you all like to stand with me, we'll go ahead and close our time of worship tonight.
Thank you for uh, this message we just heard from Duncan. I pray that your spirit will use your word uh, in our hearts. Uh, Thank you for our elders, and I pray that you would help us to take the responsibility seriously and heavily to uh, lay it out and try the character of the men that we consider to be elders. I pray for these men that you would help keep them faithful, uh, that they would live out their lives. Uh, knowing that they were leading this church uh, 
or one day after giving account to you for how well they do there. I pray that you help them to just wrestle with the sins that they struggle with, the sins of unbelief uh, in their own hearts, and that they would desire to purify that out of their lives to be conformed more into the image of Christ. Uh, help us as a church to, to encourage them in that. Lord, we thank you for this church. We love you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.